started. Welcome to the Financial Purpose Podcast. All opinions expressed by me or guests of the podcast are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Life Moves Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any financial or investment decisions. Clients of Life Moves Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. I'm your host, Dale Schaefer, and here's another great episode starting now. Let's go. This is episode 20 of the Financial Purpose Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. So about a week ago, uh, my wife and I were kind of just, you know, trying to find something to watch. It was uh, Saturday evening, I think it was. And uh, we found the Adam Lambert and Queen documentary, which, by the way, if you haven't seen it, it's really great, especially if you're a fan of Queen. Um, and if you're a fan of Adam Lambert, it's just it's a wonderful documentary about how music um, timeless music can continue to be timeless and reach new generations and all that fun stuff. And the music of Queen should definitely keep reaching new generations, just my opinion. But ever since then, ever since watching that, I've had that uh, Adam Lambert, you know, the what do you want from me song stuck in my head. And of course, Adam's voice is about a thousand times better than mine. However, it kind of got me thinking about what clients want from their advisor. And uh, I found some research. On the topic. So, I want to talk today about the services that are expected according to the research uh, versus the services that are actually received. And the differences are quite interesting. And for uh, the podcast listeners, I'm going to try to do this by numbers. So, hang in there. And then for those who are watching this episode, you'll see this graphic posted and uh, you'll be able to follow along that way. So, when you think about What is it that you want your financial advisor to do? There's often kind of the basics. I want my advisor to talk to me about investments and keep me updated on the markets and answer my questions about the economy and that kind of thing. For many investors and for many clients, they'd like their advisor to do a lot more. And that's what the research indicates. So I'd like to go through each of these and talk about what the services are that were named as being expected, how or maybe why some of the gaps might exist between clients and advisors, and then also share a little bit of insight into what I'm doing with my clients to try to close some of these gaps because the gaps that are named are very real and they're very, very important uh, for a lot of people to get this kind of service. So here we go right up at the top. First thing that is expected and named is financial planning. 96% 96% of, of investors surveyed, and by the way, it's important to note that the research says that these are wealthy investors. Now, oftentimes, that means that these are people who have more than a million dollars of investable assets. That's considered a wealthy investor. Um, it may be something to do with like a qualified investor where there's a net worth component. But my my guess is that this is for people who have more than a million dollars in investable assets that's being surveyed. So 96% of them want financial planning and 70% of them are receiving it. Well, that's a big difference. Um, I'm really curious what they mean by financial planning simply because I've had people tell me in the past that they have a financial planner. 
And when I do a little bit of just, you know, kind of fact finding, asking some basic questions to understand what level of financial planning they're receiving, typically they're just getting investment advice, but they understand that as financial planning because that investment advice is going to turn into some sort of retirement result, ergo retirement planning, ergo financial planning. And so it's... um I'm not really sure exactly what that would mean, but here's what financial planning in my mind is. So as defined by the CFP board, there are seven key areas of financial planning. They're going to include net worth planning, which is very simply assets and liabilities. And how do we make sure that those stay healthy on your personal balance sheet? Then we're going to look at cash flow planning, which is Basically, money in, money out. Is it healthy? Are you upside down? Do you have enough liquidity? Is your burn rate in the right uh, position for your financial profile? Uh, All of those things. When do you receive income? When do you spend money? All of that. Then we're going to look at risk planning. So this is area number three, risk planning. And so what risk planning or risk management is going to look like is every which way that you are exposed to any risks how you have those risks covered. Are they transferred to an insurance company? Are you retaining those risks? Are they important for you to transfer? Are you missing something there? So we want to know from a liability perspective, from a health perspective, from long-term care, from home and auto, from life, disability, all of those areas are going to become important. Number four, Investment planning. Now, this is the door that most clients walk through when they are looking for a financial planner. It's usually because there's an investment component. And so investing, by the way, is what most people think that I do all day long is just watch the markets and move accounts around and change investments and look at stocks and that kind of thing. And candidly, I I don't. I don't because investment planning is one of the seven key areas of financial planning. It's not the key area of financial planning. And so with investment management, we're going to look at all the which ways that you have investments. And that's going to be everything from your 401ks to your brokerage accounts to uh, any kind of uh, IRAs that you have, 529s, real estate, uh, illiquid investments, special placements, anything like that. We're going to look at how it's allocated, where that account lives, how the rules around that account work, and then make sure that it's properly balanced based on your financial needs. Next, very, very tightly correlated to investment management is tax planning. And with tax planning, we're going to look at all the ways that you are exposed to tax, efficiencies that we may need to pursue in order to reduce your tax burden or make your financial situation more tax efficient, And a lot of that has to do with investments. It's going to be the receipt and recognition of capital gains and dividends and sale of other assets and income and uh, business planning and how you're organized and how you're taxed. And all of those things are going to become very important. And we do that with with the partnership of a CPA, ideally. Uh, Now, there's some other tools that I use here at Life Moves Wealth Management to help us do tax planning. And I'll talk a little bit about that later in the podcast. Um, So we're up to uh, number five, tax planning. So then number six becomes retirement planning. Now the word retirement, as you're going to hear me say, anytime that I talk about the word retirement is it always has an asterisk, whatever that means to you. 
So the word retirement is one of the most widely defined things or words or events or life stages or however you have that in your mind. I'm going to do some work to understand how you see retirement. But in that retirement planning, it's everything from when do you want to do it? How much money are you going to need? What is your purpose going to be in retirement? Does retirement mean you're sitting on the couch now and putting your feet up? Does it mean you're playing golf? Does it mean you're traveling? Does it mean that you're doing consulting work? Does it mean that you're doing some other kind of you know gig economy type thing where you're earning money on your own terms? You have the financial freedom to earn on your terms. That's typically what we're talking about with retirement planning. And then finally, the seventh key area is estate planning. And this is taking everything that you've worked so hard to accumulate in your life and making sure that you get those resources to the people that you intend for those to go to rather than being decided upon by the state that you live in or some other court uh, or person or probate or something like that. So we want to make sure that everything is properly handled tax efficient going to the people that you care most about. Sometimes it's organizations that you care most about, but the point is it's documented, it's written down, it's legal, it's as bulletproof as we can make it, and it's known so that way if something happens to you, your executors and uh, your successor trustees and the people who you care about know what to do next. So those are the seven areas of planning. Real briefly, I'll just name them one more time. Area number one is uh, net worth planning. Number two, cash flow planning. Number three, risk management or risk planning. Number four, investment planning. Number five, tax planning. Number six, retirement planning. And number seven, estate planning. So when you work with a certified financial planner or a CFP, those are the services that you're going to receive. If you work with an advisor that's not a CFP, who knows? It kind of depends on the specialty of that advisor. You're not guaranteed to get any one of those services. And most likely, you're just going to get investment planning. So financial planning, going back to the chart uh, or back to the research in the chart, uh, is the number one expected service that 96% of wealthy investors, 70% of them are receiving it. Again, not really clear how it's defined, but that's where it is. The next one is wealth transfer advice, in parentheses, while still alive. So this goes under the umbrella of estate planning. And so this is where wealthy investors want to know, how do I properly build my estate strategy so that way my trust uh, has all the proper provisions so that my assets don't end up subject to probate as, as much as possible. We want to avoid probate. Um, so does my will pour over to my trust? Is my trust properly structured? What owns my real estate? What entity owns it? Um, how do we make sure the liability is is taken care of? How do we make sure that everything eventually gets down to my children or to my grandchildren or to this agency or organization that's most important to me? Wealth transfer advice. How do we do that? How do we make sure it's tax efficient? And how do we make sure that it doesn't get hung up in court or contested by somebody who really is not in your estate plan. And that's usually going to be some kind of rogue or side family member or, you know, situations where there's a, an ex-spouse or, um, you know, a, a child that there isn't a great relationship with, things like that happen. So how do we make sure that those are all properly guarded? 
Investment management, 95% want it, 88% say they receive it. So again, investment management um, is a little bit wide open. What does that mean? Is it a standalone service? Um, does it only include investment accounts that the advisor manages or does it include all of your investments that may live in multiple different places, including a company sponsored 401k or your SEP IRA or something like that? Or does it also include any outside assets that you might have? Like if you have your own uh, personal managed brokerage account or crypto or uh, precious metals or real estate or private placement uh, equities or uh, real estate investment trusts or things like that. So a bit wide open, but most people say they want it. Most people say that they have it. And the way that I do investment management is that it's all tied into the other six areas of your financial plan. And it's done strategically on purpose with a purpose designed to not only meet your investment objectives, but your proper asset allocation, your risk tolerance level, all of those things are, are built in together to do the right thing. So we're not throwing darts at a dartboard to get the right stock in the thing. And we're also not chasing higher returns and selling and buying and selling and buying and selling and buying. We're doing things very, very strategically. Understanding that sometimes in, in markets that are moving sideways or down, like what we've had for the past 18 months, we may make some tactical adjustments along the way, but it's done strategically on purpose. The next thing that was cited was trust services. Um, and so this is definitely something that wealthy investors are going to have a high need for. 94% of them say that they want it. 10% of them say that they get it. 10%. That is, that is nothing compared to the 94% that need these services. Now, um, typically when you have a, a sizable enough trust, you're going to have, um, in a lot of cases, a corporate uh, fiduciary trustee. And so this is going to be uh, some bank or trust services firm, and they manage the assets in the trust. They will do distributions uh, based on the language of the trust. They will prepare the IRS required tax forms and any other documents for the trust administration along the way. That's going to be traditional trust services. A lot of advisors have access to trust services. I do as well. And, uh, and most advisors who are connected or that uh, have a funds custodian who is a larger bank are going to have that. It's just kind of a basic thing that a lot of wealthy Americans, wealthy investors need those services. And, uh, and it's a very important one. And it's a shame that only 10% of them say that they get it. Now, most likely what that will mean is that it's possible that only 10% of the people surveyed actually need that service. And so that's always the thing because sometimes maybe the account size isn't large enough for trust management to be required or the trust management will be required in the future based on how your trust is written. But you have to die first before your trust gets transferred over to to the uh, successor trustee or the corporate trustee. So that one's kind of an interesting one, but it does fall under the bucket of estate planning, essentially. Um, next is estate planning advice, again, uh, for after your death. And this is 93% say that they want it or expect it, and 22% say that they have received it. Now, most financial advisors are not lawyers. 
In fact, it would be very, very rare to find one that holds both uh, designations. They have both passed the bar and they are licensed as an advisor. Hopefully, as more than just an investment advisor, hopefully they're licensed also as a CFP. However, most advisors, instead of having those licenses themselves, uh, are going to partner with an attorney who can write the estate plan and uh, make sure that it's administered appropriately, that the documents are legal, that they would hold up in court and that we're not just downloading forms from, you know, like a, a, a an online service or something like that. And so the estate planning advice for after your death, this is where you're going to have an attorney that's going to say, okay, when something happens to you, then this, then this, then this to this person, to this organization, that kind of thing. So again, under the bucket of estate planning, but it's more important especially for larger, more wealthy clients, because then you're getting into things like how are you minimizing exposure to the estate tax exclusion uh, or the wealth tax, as it might be called, both in your state and at the federal level. And those numbers, uh, the exclusion numbers, are always subject to be moving around. Now, they jumped significantly as a part of the uh, 2018 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, they are subject and they are on the docket for Congress to pull the limits back down to where they were pre-2018. And so that's probably going to land somewhere in the neighborhood of about 5 to $6 million. If your estate is larger than 5 to $6 million, you're going to need to do some estate planning in the event that those limits change. They're currently up to like $25 million or something for married filing jointly, which is a huge number. Most Americans will never need to worry about estate planning or a state tax exclusion, but if they pull the numbers down more and more people, it will become a reality. So that is the uh, estate planning advice for after you die. The next is tax planning advice. 92% say that they expect it or want it, and 25% say that they receive it. Now, tax planning is one of those areas that gets really dicey for a lot of people. We want to... Uh, when I say we, I'm, I mean uh, myself, good advisors, CFPs, we want to work very closely with our clients' tax professionals because we want to be sure that the investment strategies and the income receipt strategies and things like that that we're working on as a part of a financial plan matches what's best for that client from a tax planning standpoint. So we want to be sure that if we recommend strategies like, for example, a Roth IRA conversion, we want to understand what the CPA sees as being potential tax projection for making that uh, conversion. How much of the conversion should we make in any given year? What changes do they see based on other parts of their tax structure, income planning, uh, or things like um, should we be recognizing you know, any kind of gains from ISOs or should we, uh, are we going to have AMT exposure or alternative minimum tax exposure if we do this certain sale of these um, shares of stock and things like that. So we want to have a CPA on board. Sometimes, however, um, that isn't always possible or clients are between CPAs or they don't have a good relationship or, or uh, for some people, they just kind of do their own tax filing. So that's that's always an interesting one. Now, I'm doing some things at Life Moves Wealth Management to try to bridge this gap, significantly bridge this gap, because 
there's a lot of tax planning questions that my clients have because a lot of them are business owners or they're high earning professionals and they're trying to figure out how to get certain things accomplished and we want to make sure that we're doing them tax efficient and it can be everything from let's make sure that we have the right dividend strategy in place between how many of our dividends are taxed at ordinary rates versus how many are taxed as qualified dividends at preferred tax rates or do we need to reduce them or do we need to move dividend paying stock into some sort of tax deferred account right so it, all of those things become important all the way up to hey if i sell this piece of investment real estate and if i can't do a 1031 exchange what what are the consequences here or if i can do a 1031 how do we make that work all of these sort of tax questions roth conversions uh, receipt of income if i get this bonus that's projected to get what's that going to make my tax picture look like all of that i have just brought in a new tool it's called holista plan and the goal is to continue to improve significantly the tax planning services that i offer so this gap between 92 percent of people who want it and 25 percent of people who get it that's probably what my numbers look like without this tool so I'm really hoping that I'm able to close that gap even more for most of my clients. And a lot of advisors are moving these directions as well. Some advisors are taking the full step to just bring in a tax professional and they're merging practices. So you're going to have your financial advisor and two doors down in the same office is going to be the CPA or the tax preparer. And we're doing this because there needs to be synergy between the financial advisor and the the tax preparer and quite honestly historically that's not been a great relationship and a lot of times it's because cpas are wired to try to reduce their job reduce the client's tax exposure but some of the activities that financial advisors do earn more income that increases tax exposure um, and a lot of times financial advisors uh, may say that they want relationships with CPAs, but oftentimes they're only calling the CPA in hopes that the CPA will refer them business. And so there's a little bit of a distrust between the two in some circles. And so this is a very important gap to close. And it's one that's very important to me and, and to a lot of my clients. And so this is something that we're working on significantly uh, here at Life Moves Wealth Management. Non-liquid asset planning was the next one. 87% say that they want it. 5% say that they receive it. I think this is something where a lot of advisors typically may not be willing to touch this area because in most cases, the advisors are compensated based on assets under management. And so if something is non-liquid, they can't bill on it. Or if something is non-liquid, they may get a one-time commission or a trailing commission on it. So typically I'm going to think about uh, REITs or uh, real estate investment trust is what REITs stands for. Typically when you qualify for those and the advisor is able to place you into that or some other sort of private placement fund, uh, they'll typically get a commission up front and then uh, they'll get a trailing commission every year. They'll get a little bit more money and, and that gets less and less over time, usually somewhere five to 10 years. But um, most advisors, they'll, they'll look at this. Uh, if you have, let's say that you already have these types of investments and you move your money to a new advisor, you may have difficulty getting any strategies around that or any advice around that because it, it's already there. The advisor isn't going to get paid on it. You can't really touch it most of the time. It's illiquid. If you sell it, there's often a penalty or there's no market. There's no secondary market for you to sell it in. So that becomes very tricky. 
Um, and there are some situations where, again, the advisors just look at that and they're going to recommend against things that are non-liquid. If they don't like those kinds of investments, there are some advisors who just don't like private placements and don't like REITs um, because of the the lockups and the long-term gains and things like that that uh, may not work to the best interest of the client. Some advisors maybe have seen those types of investments completely go sideways and go worthless. And so the client tends to lose a lot of money and there's nothing you can do to get out because there's no secondary market. So there's a lot of reasons why that one may be showing up as well. The next couple of ones have to deal with the insurance bucket, and that's going to be long-term care, uh, which 83% are uh, they say that they expect long-term care advice. 14% are receiving it. Life insurance advice, 82% are expecting it. 12% are receiving it. And then all the way at the bottom is property casualty, health insurance. Uh, with property casualty, 72% want advice because most people don't understand their coverages on home and auto. Um, and only 2% are receiving that level of advice from their financial advisor. And then for health insurance, 65% want advice and 4% are getting it. And the same thing, when you're looking at your health insurance options through your employer or even in the in the marketplace, the public marketplace, some of those options are incredibly confusing as far as how they work, what you have to pay out of pocket, what are, what are your premiums, what does that cover, what's in network, what's out of network, you know, does it count if you do this thing or if you go get this test or if you go have this exam, all of that's very confusing. So... Insurance overall, especially for, I'll tell you the one place where people, where you're likely to have a financial advisor offer something is with life insurance. But what's interesting about that is 82% want life insurance and 12% are getting it, or they want life insurance advice. Now, life insurance is one of those areas where financial advisors stand to make a decent amount of money because of the commission structures. And what's really important with life insurance is that there are people who call themselves financial advisors and they only sell life insurance. And in my opinion, as a CFP, that is not financial advice. You cannot call yourself a financial advisor if you're only selling life insurance or if you're only selling life insurance and mutual funds or if you're only a stockbroker and you also can sell life insurance. You are not a financial you're not a financial planner and you're probably missing a lot of things on financial advice. I feel very, very strongly about this, having been on both sides of that equation. But the advice for insurance, especially life insurance, is the operative word because people want advice and a lot of times what they're getting is a sales pitch. And that is very confusing because it's hard to know your options when you're being swayed or steered hard one direction or another toward one product or another and it it just gets challenging insurance contracts overall can be very difficult for most people to understand coverages what's included what's not included when do you get excluded when do you no longer have to keep paying uh, how does your cash value work if you have cash value how does your term work if you have term all of those things insurance is definitely a large gap in Again, going back to that risk management area of financial planning, it, it's one of the most important exposure risks that we have. And it, it all has to do with, with liability and how things happen when we get sick and then what happens when we die. And, uh, and there's a lot of risks that come along with just getting in your car and driving down the road 
or, you know, forgetting to, uh, you know, make sure that burner's all the way clicked off or somebody kicks in your door and, and now you, you lose possessions. I mean, there's just all sorts of risks that you're supposed to think about. You know, if you're listening to this driving on the highway right now, look at the person in front of you who's swerving in and out of traffic. That person is increasing your risk by driving the way that they're driving. Now they're increasing their risk, but they're also pulling you into the equation. So there's a lot of, a lot of areas where insurance becomes incredibly important and you need somebody who has taken all of the insurance exams and understands how coverages works and can make sure that if you don't have a good insurance agent, that they can connect you to somebody who's reputable and quality and can educate you and will give you advice. And that's everything on life, health, auto, disability, Medicare insurance. That's a big one. There's a lot of fraud. Uh, I I shouldn't say fraud. Just like in life insurance, there are a lot of people who are just selling policies and collecting the commissions, and they're really not good on the advice side. So you want to make sure that you have somebody who truly has your best interest in mind, understands all of the options, and can help you walk through them at a level that you understand so you can make an informed decision and not be sold something that looks good in the moment, but you know two days later you regret. So that's insurance. The next one is loan and credit management. 83% say they want it. 3% say that they get it. And this falls under the umbrella of uh, both cash flow and net worth planning. And this is an area that, again, some financial advisors just don't have a good handle on or they don't specialize in or if they're not doing uh, real financial planning, they're probably not going to want to touch that area because it's just uh, it can be some handholding. Um, it's something that they don't specialize in. It's something that they're not going to be paid for. So they're going to have a hard time spending a lot of time there, in my opinion. Next is going to be education advice uh, or educational financing advice is how it's named. 81% say they want it. 6% say they, they get it. Education planning is one of the most important areas of financial planning, especially when there are children involved. You never know what your children are going to do. You never know if they're going to go to school. You never know if they're going to go to trade school. You never know if they're going to get scholarships. You never know if they're just going to start a business right out of high school and, and never even do anything with education. How you structure your education planning is a little bit more complex than just opening a a state-sponsored 529 plan and then putting money in there every month or every year or every quarter or whatever. Um, Some states have different tax incentives based on where you live and where you're investing. Sometimes it makes sense to have part of the money in a 529 and part of the money in some other type of account, just depending on where your child is in their development and, and what it looks like they're going to do. I mean, one of the worst things to know when your child is six is to ask them what they want to do for a living um, because that's probably going to change about 18 times and uh, you know if you ask a five or six year old what they want to be when they grow up they're probably going to want to be a princess or a gi joe or maybe they'll want to be a doctor or a pilot or a policeman or a fireman or those kinds of things that we probably all said we wanted to be or a teacher or marine biologist or something like that and then when they're 16 or 17 that answer might be a bit different because they've seen the world They've been in sports or they you know, have some academic prowess, things like that. So the education advice, just like all other financial advice, is a moving target and it needs to be adjusted over time. And you've got to have somebody who can help you make those adjustments as things go along. Next thing on the list is vision, business, b- vision, 
business succession planning is what I meant to say. See, my my brain's going faster than the lips. Business succession planning, 80% say they want it, 1% get it. Now, this is very important because we have a lot of business owners in the world. Um, We have a lot of business owners who are not in the camp where they have more than $1 million of investable assets most of the time because they're currently working in their business. And a lot of the money is tied up in the going concern of the business. And so everybody who starts a business at some point is going to want to sell that business. They, they're going to invest their time, their money, their resources, their knowledge years into this business. And they're hoping that at some point that business is going to have a value to somebody else that they can sell. And, uh, and how that happens is very important. Again, that has a tax planning, uh, a major tax planning consequence. It has a major estate planning consequence. It has a major retirement planning consequence. It has a major net worth planning consequence. It has a major cash flow planning risk. You see where I'm going here, right? There's a lot of liability wrapped up in here. So again, all of these seven areas, they all touch each other. You can't isolate them there. Uh, go back and watch the the video that I made on this It's uh, episode 10 of the Financial Purpose Podcast, and uh, it's spaghetti and financial planning, right? Financial planning is all spaghetti. It's all touching. Um, You can put the sauce in the noodles, and and you can watch that. It's it's not a very long video or episode, and you can hear my opinion on this, but everything touches each other in financial planning, and it's got to be done together. Um, The last thing that I'm going to look at, or the last two things, are actually uh, real estate advice. 76% want it. 3% are going to get it. Most advisors aren't going to touch it because they don't get paid on it. But real estate planning is very important, especially when, you know, there are a lot of people who say, I'm going to build part of my wealth in the stock market and with investments. I'm going to build part of my wealth in real estate, and I'm going to build part of my wealth as a business owner. And I think that's important to have different buckets of, of income, different buckets of asset location. And uh, and again, if your advisor is in investments only, you're probably not going to get very much help in real estate because they're probably going to rather see the money come into an investment account rather than go into some sort of investment property or opportunity like that. So um, real estate advice is, is also an important one. And, and again, in my experience, it's an area where a lot of advisors just kind of shy away. And then finally, banking services. This falls under the cash flow planning umbrella. say that they want this and 12% say that they get it. And so making sure that you have the right types of accounts that have the right types of structure and the right uh, yield and the right credit cards and and different things like that, all of that kind of makes sense. And there are some banks that are really good at this and some banks that are really not good at this. And having an advisor who understands how the banking world works can be very, very, very high to your advantage. And so that becomes quite crucial, especially with cash flow, because if you're in a bank type, and I had one of these when I started my my business, I was with a bank, and it was uh, it would take days for money to move from that account to other things. And the speed of business works so much faster than three or four days to see money move between accounts. And so you, you want to make sure that you're in the right place based on your business needs and the speed of the transaction that you need. So those are the services. What I found interesting is that there's another piece of research from the same group. This is the spectrum group. And uh, these, there, there are two links in the show notes uh, where you can see these numbers yourselves. But 
with all the services that are expected and everything that is offered, interesting is what makes people feel somewhat financially secure. Now, when you talk about what is financially stable, 40% of the people that they surveyed said that being comfortable in supporting the lifestyle that I want, 40% said that's what I would define as financially stable, and then it drops off. 22% say having enough money to put away for the future, all the way down to 13% being completely free of debt. Interesting, 5% said being financially stable means having financial resources to pass on to my children. And then 4% said financially stable is having consistent financial returns. And 4% also said that that meant keeping a budget. So those numbers are, are quite fascinating when you think about what's what's being offered, what they're expecting, and then how people see the, the term financially stable. When you talk about being financially secure, the number one thing, 80, 87% of those surveyed, the number one thing that makes somebody feel somewhat financially secure or at least somewhat financially secure, 87% is an emergency cash fund. Now that goes into cash flow planning because how you're able to set money aside is a cash flow question. How much you can put into your 401k is a cash flow question, but those also touch your assets and your liability and your net worth planning. And, uh, and it becomes very important, especially in uh, cash flow planning, to understand what your expenses are, both your fixed expenses and your discretionary, because that's how you're going to determine how much money to set aside as an emergency fund. Sometimes even just having, you know, for some people, they just go, well, I have $1,000 in the bank. That's my emergency fund. There aren't very many emergencies that are going to cost less than $1,000. I mean, even just price out a round of tires, on your car because you know if you lose one you have to get at least two and then think about when was the last time that you changed all four right something going wrong with the car um, is going to require a mechanic uh, a washer and dryer go out I know what those costs we just did this two years ago um, with a washer that went out and I tried hard tried to fix that thing in the garage and there was just no hope for that so um, and it wasn't because I couldn't do it. It's just because the machine would not, it would not do what it was mechanically supposed to do, nor would it even come apart the way it was supposed to come apart. And so those things are not $1,000 emergencies. A kid having to go to the ER is likely not a $1,000 emergency. Someone getting in a car accident, likely not a $1,000 emergency. So you're going to need to know what are my expenses and how many months does it make sense based on my income structure and how secure I feel about my income structure, how much money should I have set aside? And so that's how you do your emergency cash fund. 78% of people said that having a financial plan, it makes them feel somewhat financially secure. A lot of people don't have a real financial plan. Again, a lot of people think that they do. They just have an investment in a retirement number. Um, but having a full financial plan here at Life News Wealth Management, we use the element system so that way we can keep track in real time of financial health. And that has increased what, I, what I've heard from clients is that they're able to see on an ongoing basis how financially healthy they are once they understand uh, all of the, the indicators and, and what their health numbers are. And um, it changes the way that we approach financial planning. It changes the way that they feel about the comfort level of their financial progress. The next things are... Uh, you know, things like having a will and having an estate plan, uh, life insurance outside of work. That was, that's one thing that I totally forgot to mention in the life insurance thing is that a lot of people have life insurance and health insurance 
only through their employer. And if they get laid off or if they change jobs, all of that starts over again. And so that's a risk exposure that we need to be cautious of as well. Um, and then people wrapped up through uh, long-term care, again, life insurance through work, and then college savings. Those things make people feel financially secure. So I'm curious, what is it that you want from your financial advisor, in, and are you getting it? And, and I would ask this question of my clients. What is it that you want from me, and am I providing it? And if there's a gap, we need to make sure that we can understand that gap and try to close it. If you're working with a financial advisor and you don't think that you can close that gap, it can be helpful to you to look around and see if you can find somebody who's actively trying to pursue that or already has systems in place to take care of a lot of those those gap areas as well. So I'm curious, what makes you feel financially stable and what are you expecting from your financial advisor? Are you getting it? Drop a comment and let me know how this topic applies to you in those areas, right? So what are you expecting and are you getting it? And then what makes you feel financially secure? If you'd like more information uh, or you want to continue the conversation, drop an email to info at lifemoveswealth.com and uh, I'll be happy to help you in any way that I can or even look over things that would be helpful to you in understanding your financial stability. So that's it. Until next time, take care. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Learn more about your financial purpose at lifemoveswealth.com. 